0: Today, I'm joined with my colleague, Jen Quire. In our day jobs as financial planners, our goal is to help our clients use their money to live better lives. It's also the motivation behind this podcast. Through all this, we've had quite a bit of experience working one-on-one with physician families and have been able to see what works and what doesn't. Today, we're going to be getting into what the key processes are behind using your money to live better lives. What's interesting is that we all work through some parts of this process already, whether we realize it or not. But most of the time it's ineffective and therefore we're not living better. And in some cases is actually hurting us. What we're going to be talking about is the right way to do this. So if you're interested in using money to live better, you're definitely in the right place. Jen, thanks for joining me today, Chat.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. So we're going to be talking about what a financial plan looks like and how that process works. But before you get into it, Jen, can you give the listeners a little bit of background about you?
1: You didn't tell me you are going to ask this <laughs> question. <All laughs> I was right.
0: not prepared for this question. All right. All right. If you're all not ready, right, I mean, I just, I wanted no, to okay, ask I, you that.
1: Yeah, sure. So I guess about me, I guess going way back, I studied finance in college at University of Colorado in Boulder. So that was kind of where I got my, you know, my start was. Um, in college and throughout college I had a series of internships in Raymond James and kind of got my first professional experience there and kind of got an idea of what the world of you know personal finance looked like and really developed an interest for it there. And then my husband's job actually ended up bringing us to Lexington, Kentucky, where I ended up working with you, Daniel, at Northwestern Mutual. So then we worked there from 2009 to 2014. And then came over to Wren Financial Planning. So been here since then. So I guess I've been working in, you know, financial industry in some capacity, one capacity or another since about 2008.
0: Yeah, it's been quite a while. How many years have we worked together? 10 years, right?
1: Since 2009. Or, so, no, yeah, more than 10 years. 11, 11. Gosh,
0: crazy. So we're talking about the financial planning process and you know what a financial plan looks like. It's a broad topic and also, you know, varies by person, but we want to try to help the listeners kind of start to understand the steps that it entails and we'll talk through some of those different steps and what that looks like and maybe throw out some action items and ideas for how to work through that. So Jen, just I guess from a starting point, how would you break down like, what is a financial plan, maybe for starters?
1: Sure. So I think, you know, a financial plan can look different depending on who you ask, but hopefully a big picture of a financial plan is a some sort of written document that's kind of your roadmap. You know, what are your goals? How are you going to achieve them? Do you have a timeline for achieving these? Who's responsible for doing it? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Who's going to keep you accountable? you know, some, something that's written and going to help you, you know, kind of get from where you are today to, you know, ultimately where you want to be.
0: Yeah. So Jen's a financial planner now. So w- that's really our job is we help people work through this process of creating their financial plan. And so maybe a good starting point would be to kind of iron out what that process looks like. So I like to break it down between, you know, different, the big, segments that we work through. So the first segment is organizing your numbers, your financial numbers. The second is clarifying values and goals, kind of like where you want to go, what's most important. The third is analyzing. And the fourth is deciding. And then the fifth is executing on that. And so if we're starting with organizing the numbers, so Jen, like what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, if you're our client specifically, our organizing meeting, we usually call it our onboarding meeting. And that one we're you know, we're looking at a bunch of different spreadsheets and we have some account aggregation systems that we look at, you know, some online share files that we have. So really our first step in working together is figuring out what you have. What do you already have in place? So we'll develop kind of a basic balance sheet, figure out what assets you have, what liabilities you have. We'll help you develop a basic budget. You know, where's your money going? That's always a challenge for people. You know, most people don't know exactly where every dollar is going, but let's at least get a big picture, a general idea of where we think most of our money's going. You know, we'll draft an income statement or a cash flow statement of you know, kind of what's going in, what do we think's going out? Do we have any sort of surplus? Just a good starting foundation, you know, and then we'll look at some insurance summaries, some investment summaries, things like that. Just so we have a good inventory of what you are of what you have going on. That's our baseline before we can really get an idea of, you know, what you're missing or what opportunities we have for improvement, we have to really understand what you already have in place.
0: Yeah. The way I think of it is like we're trying to get your entire financial picture on like one page or you know a couple of pages, trying to boil it all down. And Jen mentioned net worth or your financial statement, sometimes people call it. That's always a really good tool to help you start to think about all the different assets you have and debts that you have. And then cash flow, you mentioned as well, that's another good tool to kind of start helping you think big picture, where does my income go between the broad categories? What do you think people struggle with getting organized?
1: I think people get overwhelmed because they feel like everything needs to be perfect before they develop a relationship with a planner. They're, you know, Mm -hmm. I I have to have all this information prepared before I reach out to someone because I know they're going to ask for it or things like that. But, you know, it's all a process. We can help you locate things. We can help you figure out where your accounts are, where those insurance policies are. You know, no one knows where, no one knows where everything is. Almost everyone in that first meeting is like, hey, you know, I know I have this. I don't know exactly where it is or how much money is in there. So, you know, not everything has to be perfect. We can work together to figure out what you have and where it is. And, you know, that's all part of the process. That's a big part of it is just helping you get organized. So, you know, things don't have to be perfect and we certainly don't expect that.
0: Yeah. And I think, so if you're doing it on your own, on the other hand, um, you know, I think everyone should be keeping their finances organized and I think you can always get better at it. But, you know, if you're doing it on your own, I think a good way to kind of work through that is is just to have kind of some of those spreadsheets like we threw out and just kind of getting it all on paper and, you know, documenting, like we were saying, you want to know where everything's at and, you know, what's going on. Ideally, somebody else can look at it, like your spouse. To me, it needs to be organized to the point where if I'm not around, she can pick it up and like, know, you know, not exactly, but like generally what's going on. I think that's a good, when you're there, that's kind of where you want to be at a minimum. As far as I would consider that, you know, pretty organized financially
1: yeah and if you can store things electronically you know we see that a lot with people with tax returns or disability insurance policies things like that or you know i'll have to find that and scan it to you like do things electronically as much as you can it just seems to make things easier it's easier Mm -hmm. to organize it's easier to share with people it's easier like you said to share with your spouse if they need to access it or you know someone else in the case of an emergency just makes your life easier makes makes it easier to keep things organized
0: yeah electronic is awesome all throughout password manager, that's huge yeah. because, well, we know firsthand, you know, working with people, most people just don't know all their passwords. And if they do, maybe they have them written on their cell phone in their notes section, and that'd be very easy to, you know, hack, I guess. But
1: oh, yeah, we've people come in with password notebooks, like written password notebooks. <laughs> and we're like, no, you can't have that.
0: Yeah. So having all your passwords in a password manager, at a minimum, it's going to save you time, but it allows, so, For example, if I'm going to document all my assets and debts, if I have a password manager, it's going to take me five minutes because I can just quickly log into all the different accounts. Versus if I have no idea what my passwords are, it's going to take me five minutes per account because I have to forget my password, log back in, you know, do all that stuff. Other you got other tools that come to mind Jen, on your end that kind of to help facilitate that.
1: Uh, I think those are the main things. I don't know what other things are out there, but you know, we use Drive at least internally for our files and, and Drive's yeah. been a great way for us to share things between at least our employee-wise, but also with our clients. You know, you can make documents that are shareable and editable between people so you don't have to, you know, it used to be like an Excel file, you would you know, make the Excel file, you would save it, you would attach it to an email and send it to someone. But with things like Google Drive, you can make shareable documents where you can just share secure links and things like that. And I think that's an efficient and easy way to to share things with people. So I think yeah. something like Google Drive is also a good thing to kind of incorporate in that.
0: So the second phase is getting into clarifying values and goals. I would say that's by far the most important phase. And it should drive really everything else because it's, you know, starting, it's you defining what's most important and kind of where you want to go with all this. But it also is probably the most overlooked phase.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think people think about financial plan and I think they get really hung up on the numbers portion of a financial plan. You know, just this last week, I took a course with the Kinder Institute on life planning and someone in there shared a quote that I liked money can't buy happiness, but everyone sure wants to find out for themselves. You know, you always hear that money isn't money, isn't the answer. And we see that every day. You know, it's not always about accumulating as much wealth as possible. We would rather help you use your resources to live a fulfilling life. What's important to you? What are your priorities? You know, it's you know, sure you're making $750,000 a year and that's great, but are you happy? Like that's, I think that's more what we'd like to focus on when we're talking about your goals and values. Are you using that $750,000 to do what's important to you?
0: Yeah. And that's kind of a, I guess it's difficult to do yourself. It's kind of awkward to ask. (laughs) I mean, you're like, Hey self time out. let's ask questions (laughs) about what's most important to you. And then it's, even with your spouse, it's kind of an awkward conversation. So I think people, you can definitely do it yourself, but I think having, we're kind of like the third party quarterback that facilitates the conversation. And it seems like, you know, that's an example of something that really helps to have like a, I think a third party to kind of prompt, walk through the process and ask the questions and, that sort of thing. There's a, but if you are doing it yourself, like I said, it is completely possible. There's, it's more just understanding or knowing what questions to ask or how to work through it. There's a, the course you went through is George Kinder. He has three questions. I think he calls them the three questions, Yeah. Um, yeah. but we can link to it in the show notes, but it's just three. And do you happen to remember them, Jen?
1: Yeah. So he calls it life planning because it's, you know, it's more than just about financial planning where you were using your finances to plan for your life. And I think one of the ways that you can try to focus more on what is important to you so we can start figuring out how we we get those things more in line with each other is asking yourself questions that force you to dig a little bit deeper. And the three questions that he asks are, the first one is, you know, imagine that you're completely financially independent today. You know, you have enough money to take care of your needs now and in the future, how would you change your life today what what would change would you would your job change would you move would you quit you know wh- what would you do differently and then the second question is you know imagine that you're going to your doctor and your doctor says you only have 5 to 10 years to live you're not ever going to feel sick it's not going to impact your quality of life but you're also not going to know when it's your time so you know you have 5 to 10 years but you're not going to have any notice other than that so given that information what would you choose to do with the time you have remaining? What changes would you make today, given that information? And then the third question is, same doctor, you go back to the same doctor, but instead of five to 10 years to live, you only have 24 hours to live. So in, in that case, you know, ask yourself, you know, what did I miss in this life? What Who did I not get to be? What did I not get to do? And things like that. So those are the kind of questions that we kind of encourage our clients to think about And if those questions lead you to answers that would push you in a direction of a very different life, then maybe we need to start exploring a little bit different path than the one we're going down.
0: Yeah, those are good. They kind of help you start to go down that path of identifying what your ideal life is and what we see because we go through these questions with our clients is, at first, people tend to start out surface level, right? Like, you're, mm-hmm. what are your goals? Well, I want to, I don't know, pay off my debt and get rid of student loans. And
1: retire. And, and
0: Retire by 55 and that sort of stuff. I don't know. What else should I be de- looking for? I mean, that's good. That's a sur- But it's surface level. And yeah. So ideally, you kind of go a little deeper and you're like, well, what's really motivating you? What drives you? When yeah, it really yeah. comes down to it, what's going to be...
1: As you kind of progress down those questions, your answers kind of funnel down into more specific things. Like they start very broad and as you work down, they become more, more specific and you usually not always, you know, depending on what your individual, you know, values and priorities are, but usually they narrow down toward more personal specific things. Like I wish I had spent more time with my family or I wish I had traveled more. I wish I had worked less and spent more time with my children or things like that. So they become more more personal goals or people or time-related goals than necessarily financially specific goals.
0: Yeah. In a couple episodes back, Jeff and I talked about aligning time and money with your values. And he had a few ideas. I think we also mentioned these three questions as a potential. But check that out if you kind of want to dig deeper on that end. So the next phase of the process, we get into analyzing. And so these all kind of work together. You have to know where you want to go, what's most important to start to analyze the numbers or kind of the different options. I think what I see, it seems like analyzing is probably the most tempting one to get the car that ahead of the horse on. I see people all the time analyzing before they've done, that's kind of like their first phase is they start analyzing. So I think the key is these are in order, right? So like you organize first, you clarify values, goals second, and then you analyze. But let's say somebody has kind of worked through those phases and they can, we know the values, we know the goals, we know the numbers, and we're getting into this analysis phase. What does that look like, Jen?
1: Yeah, so the uh, the analysis is when you kind of start putting the puzzle pieces together. We have the data pieces and we have the golden values pieces. And now we start to run the analysis and see how all of these things fit together. You know, for a lot of these people, it's figuring out when can I achieve financial independence? Or if my kid wants to go to Vanderbilt, how much money do I need to be saving? How much house can I afford? Or do I have enough disability insurance? Or do I have enough emergency reserves? So it's kind of figuring out how, how do we use the resources that you have or the future resources you're going to be coming into to start planning for these things and allocating those resources to toward those things, you know, and either we have enough resources to do that, or we don't have enough resources to do that. And we need to kind of circle back and make sure that our priorities are in the right order or maybe Mm -hmm. revisit our goals. If we just don't have the, you know, the wiggle room to do all of those things.
0: I kind of think of it like we're charting out the paths. The potential paths so mm-hmm. it's like a map and we're sitting at point a and we're starting to so there's a million ways to point b we're just starting to identify all the different ways to get from point a to point b we're not like taking a step forward yet we're just saying okay based on what's most important to you and what your resources are let's chart out all the different sh- paths to kind of you could take. lay it all out on the table yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so analysis is very dependent on the goals and the situation. It's, And that's partly why I think it's problematic to make that the first step. When I used to speak more regularly to groups, one of the most common questions I would get is, should I invest or pay off debt? That was just a common question. It's a good question, but it's like analysis kind of question, you know? So I always felt dodgy when I answered it. Cause I'm like, well, you need to organize your numbers and clarify your values and goals, but, and they don't want to hear that answer in it. A- so, But that's the true answer is like, you really, I have no idea. Like, is I don't know which one you should do. And we get that
1: with the house question. That's one of the first, I think people reach out to us a lot in the transition phase a lot. And they say, you know, I I really want to make sure I'm not making a dumb decision with my house. This is what I make. Can I afford this house? And we're like, I I wish I could tell you. And, you know, I I know that you don't want to hear me tell you that I don't have the information to, to tell you yes or no but we really do have to dig into the numbers before I can tell you if that is or is not okay it's based on so much more than just what you make
0: yeah so you can use rules of thumb you can use you know you can analyze before you know your values goals and numbers but it's definitely not going to be the best outcome you're just not cuz it's not customized it's not
1: yeah, it's definitely not tailored to your specific goals. If you're yeah. wanting, you know, early financial independence, you probably don't want to be following a lot of those general rules of thumb that are out there with your house.
0: Yeah, so the analysis phase is very much, varies based on circumstances, and it can get really complicated, but it can also be really, really simple. So that's, uh, it, you know, it, that it's a very broad, I guess, topic, but the main thing is getting it in the right order. So once you analyze, once you know your different paths available, you know, say there's a hundred choices of paths to get from point A to point B. The next phase is just to pick the path. You know, basically you're going to say, that's the one, that's the direction I want to go. And so that is, it's kind of like a different skill set. I think some people get hung up on that like, for instance, they're like, I have a hundred choices. I can't decide. Yeah. yeah. So that's my first thought that comes to mind as far as how you know, the challenge with deciding is there's a hundred choices. Or more than that, potentially. Mm-hmm. So how do you start to, what's the hangups that you see there, Jen? What, how do you work through that process?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, kind of depending on the person, there are tons of hang ups, you know, one one of the hang ups we see a lot are, you know, the analysis paralysis, I have 500 choices, how do I figure out which of these things I want to focus on? And, you know, it's whatever the best path is, you know, it, it's not always necessarily a concrete answer. We work with a lot of people who are in transition phases. And, you know, it's not necessarily that this is certainly the right thing to do, or certainly the wrong thing to do. So I think it's okay to not always necessarily know the right answer in the moment. I think what is important is to make sure that we have your priorities right. And once we're sure that we have your priorities right, then we can make sure that we're, you know, we're kind of populating your to-do list based on those priorities or or your time sensitive and Mm -hmm. kind of focusing on one thing at a time. You know, it's not, we don't have to do all of these, you know, 50 things on your to-do list. I think it's more about always having a next step and always focusing on moving forward, always having a next meeting. You know, even if it's a baby step that we're making, that we're just, we're always making some sort of progress because it's easy Mm to It's easy to see 50 things on your to-do list and just giving up.
0: So the last phase that we get into is actually executing on that. So you've decided which direction you want to go. Then it's a matter of taking, starting to take steps forward. I think this kind of like, the analyzing thing. This one, people get the card ahead of the horse as well, and maybe even are executing without doing any of the steps. And I think that's kind of, that's where a lot of problems come up, where it's you're unlikely to make a good decision. And typically, the driving force behind it, when you've done none of the steps and then you're executing, is emotions. I think going back to the house example, that's we see that happen quite a bit, but. What's the difference before we get into executing? What's the difference between deciding and executing?
1: Okay. I think the difference between deciding and executing and deciding we're figuring out which of these paths we actually want to go down of these, you know, of of all these options that we've talked about and these potential paths that we've gone over, which of these are we going to decide that we're going to go down? Once we've decided on that, we need to make our execution plan. We need to start working on our to-do list. And once we get to that execution plan, we need to, I think it's important to set timelines. It's important to figure out who's going to be doing what and things like that. Because if you just make a, you know, an arbitrary to-do list with no necessarily set deadlines or assigned to a a person, is this your job? Is this your spouse's job? Is this the advisor's job? You know, I think it's good to assign ownership and deadlines to help, you know, enforce that accountability there, you know. Lots of things get in the way. Time gets in the way. People don't like change and analysis paralysis. So, you know, it's ask for help. You know, that's why your advisors are here. Outsource things. So there's, you know, a million reasons not to do things, but, you know, you use the people that are there for you. And
0: yeah, what I think is interesting about executing is, well, first of all, I think it's probably one of the ones people struggle with the most of all of them. They get To all through, you know, maybe they're going through this properly, but then they get to the fifth step and they're like paralyzed or they just don't have the time or they forget about it. And so I think it's the easiest one, one of the easier ones to kind of slip up on. I also think, like I was saying before, it's one of the, it's commonly one of the ones where you get the cart ahead of the horse. And so I really think it comes down to working through the process properly and then Asking yourself the question, what's going to get in the way of me getting it done? Because if you, and usually, you know, you can kind of look at your past and identify what's the hurdles. But my favorite example of this is getting wills. (laughs) Yes. Because we go through this process with really smart people all the time. We get all the way to step five. Everybody agrees. Everybody decides. It makes all the sense in the world nobody gets anything done
1: (laughs) or they're like, I've done everything. I just need to sign it. And they just need to sign it for a year.
0: Yeah. So it is never, it was never executed on. And so it's, that's worst case scenario because you've never actually, it's like as if you did nothing and it's like a plan, you know, plan is great, but it actually means nothing unless you actually execute on it. So it's, you gotta kind of have, that uh, you know also accountability is helpful that this is especially where accountability i think comes into play
1: yeah and i think that's where advisors can come into play too you know like we you know i like i have my notary so we try to extend that service to people and say you know we know we recognize that this is a challenge with people it is you know it's a pain for people with a working spouse or two working spouses or one working spouse and four kids at home to you know, get everyone to the same place and sign documents in front of someone. So we try to make that process a little bit easier for people when we can and try to remove as many of those barriers as we can. And I think, like you mentioned, trying to recognize those barriers ahead of time is a good practice Um, trying to say, you know, what's going to get in the way of us accomplishing these goals.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, Jen, thanks for chatting, chatting with me and talking through this.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.